Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McKevely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey everyone, welcome to the 76th episode of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you into our world in financial markets and financial planning. So good morning to you, Matt. Good morning, Mark. We have a normal podcast format. We got you back. Yeah, it's good to be to be back in the saddle, so to speak. This is going to be a good one. <laughs> On our normal schedule. Just to give you a heads up, I do have something I'm going to discuss in a little bit that's going to poke the bear. It's going to rattle your it's cage. Actually, I think I saw that one, but there's another thing that's going to trigger me too. And I'm going to bring that up. It's going to be a little bit of a surprise for you. I think. can't wait. I think the listeners are going to like this one. <laughs> um, so uh, as always, we'll take the first couple of minutes here just to go over the performance for the month and the year for the major indexes that we track. And this data is as of December uh, 15th and it's from Coifin. S&P 500 index is up 0.88% for the month and up 14.47% for the year. The Dow up 1.26% for the month and up 6% for the year. The NASDAQ up 0.69% for the month and up 38.64% for the year. The IWM ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 index is up 6.89% for the month of December and now up 19.2% for the year. The Vanguard International ETF X United States is up 2.13% for the month and up 9.2% for the year. The three-month T-bill currently yielding 0.08%, the two-year Treasury yield sitting at 0.12%, and the 10-year Treasury yield is at 0.92%. So moving on to uh, big news or headlines and current events from the week. Um, we got the November jobs update uh, a couple of weeks ago, and the figure came in at uh, plus 245,000 jobs in November, and the consensus was plus 440,000, so a pretty big miss there. Uh, unemployment came in at 6.7%, which was unchanged. Uh, the job gains primarily came from transportation, warehousing, and healthcare, and there were losses in government and retail jobs. So there's about 550,000 fewer retail jobs in November compared to February, which so is so like pre-COVID. Pretty, that was like the number. number of retail job losses. Right. I find it interesting, Mark, to see these gains in warehousing, right? Transportation. You know, it's just showing you that trend of buying online, home delivery. You know, you're seeing it into some sales figures, but now you're seeing it actual in hiring and leading into the holiday season. And that's more proof that it's going to be a lot harder to get the brick and mortar retail sales back. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so that November figure uh, represents the fifth straight month of decelerating job gains, and it's the lowest monthly total since COVID, uh, the COVID recovery started. And according to Glassdoor.com, job openings fell by 2.5% on a month-to-month basis and are still down by more than 10% from pre-pandemic levels. You know, I think when I see you um, say that, Mark, it makes me immediately think about Congress debating this next stimulus package. Mm-hmm. And, you know, am I suggesting that if we continue at this pace with no package that we're going to go negative on job numbers month to month? Probably not. 
but I definitely think some sort of a stimulus package can't hurt. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think people have been waiting for the second stimulus package for a long time. Um, you know, an example of some help that's getting provided that doesn't need to go through uh, Congress right now is um, the delayment of federal student loan payments. So that just got extended to January 31st, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So got it. at least there's that for people that have loans. Well, that'll uh, get them through the inauguration. Right. And, you know, Biden, most likely, like, he can decide what he wants to do at that point. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and then lastly, this was an interesting one, be, just because uh, the L.A. mayor issued a stay-at-home order on December 2nd for residents um, of L.A., to try to prevent an overrun of the healthcare system. Um, you know, LA County on its own is about 3.8% of the national GDP. So that's just that county. Pretty big. Think about that. Um, so, you know, GDP could be affected by a lot of these larger counties that contribute more to GDP than the average. That's um, crazy, Mark. So, yeah, just thought that that was, that was an interesting stat there. Um, so moving on to tweets, articles, and research from the week, I'll let you kick it off. I got some good ones this week. I think listeners are going to like it. Uh, first one is kind of a um, kind of market update from Argus Research. They had a note on December 3rd. And so they discussed GDP estimates for 2021. And uh, for newer listeners, GDP stands for gross domestic product. It's a way to kind of judge what a country's doing economically. Is mm-hmm. that a good way of saying it? Yep. So uh, they discussed GDP estimates for 2021. This is the quote. We expect continued improvements in the first half of 2021 before the economy stabilizes near pre-pandemic levels in the second half of 2021. Our, our being Argus, uh, their GDP model now calls for overall GDP growth of 1% for 2020 and a bounce higher of 3.6% for 2021. This triggered me. This triggered you? It did. I'm surprised. I thought it was going to be something else here in a little bit. You know, I don't like predictions. Oh, I don't like that here stuff. Here it is. Here it's it another, is. It's a, it's a watered down version, I think, of what you're going to talk about here in a little bit. In my opinion, (laughs) (laughs) I just because here's where I'm coming from with that. Good go. What was I want to go back and see what the GDP estimate was for Argus for 2020 in December of 2019 before COVID before COVID. I bet you it was at least two percent at least. Right. Because there's no way that you can factor that stuff in. I love it. You know, it's it's the same thing as like the Congressional uh, Budget Office that that makes their predictions. It's like they can't account for certain events that happen throughout the year. And this is just something that I really don't give a whole lot of weight to just because, again, it's a prediction and I don't think you could predict this stuff. Oh, well, if that's going to get you going, (laughs) my one in a little bit's really going to get you going. I love it. So I also found their commentary about the stock market interesting. This I think you'll like. Okay. Quote, Good stock performance in November often sets the stage for good Decembers, and there's no reason to believe stocks can carry a bit more strength into the stretch run for 2020. Continue. In years in which the market is positive through 11 months, as it is in 2020, the last of the bearish money managers are forced to capitulate or risk the wrath of their clients. 
scrambling for return, these bears turned bulls will tend to window dress clients' portfolios with stocks that have worked best all year, end quote. Mark, can you provide listeners with some color on window dressing? What does it mean? Yeah, so a lot of these managers are these big funds who haven't had the hot stocks for the year or the stocks that have performed the best for the year. You know, at the end of the year, sometimes they go and buy these names to show their clients that, hey, we hold this stock that did this well over the past year, when in reality, they're trying to cover their butts to, to, to help buffer the uh, pain that they would get from some of their clients of performance because they didn't own these names all year. But they do it to kind of cover it up and say, well, now we're in these names that are the hot you know, sexy, sophisticated, uh, high performers that have been, you know, over the past year. Um, so what you're going to see, I'm not going to say that, scratch that. What you might see is people scooping up the hot names of the year, like the Zooms and the Teslas of the world, um, near the end of the year. So these fund managers can show their clients that they own this stuff. Absolutely. And so just to add to that, Mark, um, the only thing I'd like to say is, Usually twice a year, mutual funds uh, will list what their holdings are, like all of their holdings, not mm -hmm. just like their top 10 or top 20. And so it is for that list that they want to make sure they have some of the high flyers for that year mm -hmm. in there to make it appear, well, I've owned XYZ all year long when they may have just what? Bought, bought it in it December. In December. Yeah. Right. So, so it's interesting. I do like that that one though because there is there's there is hard data show um, that typically you know December is a bullish month, especially the second half of of December, which we typically call us the Santa Claus rally. I love a good Santa and, Claus rally. Um, it's even uh, further exacerbated if you know the market is positive you know through the first eleven months of the year, and there's data behind that. So I do I do like that. Love that. Yep. Got a couple more. Uh, this next one is a research note from Top Down Charts. It was from the November 2020 newsletter that I was able to take a look at. So um, Jenna is going to post this chart to our show notes. Mark, you want to remind listeners how they can access this? Yep. It's jessupwealthmanagement.com and then hover over the podcast tab and then click on show notes and you'll be able to see all this stuff, which I believe it is live right now. So everyone should be able to see this stuff now. Okay. Thank you for that, Jenna. So this chart shows um, high correlation of central banks last interest rate cut move eight months prior and how that correlates to global manufacturing PMI looking forward. Okay. And so they view the last rate cut the prior eight months as a forward indicator of that eventually trickling down to the economies. Mm -hmm. Okay. On a global basis. Well, this chart goes back to 1997, Mark, and it shows a high correlation of the last rate cut eight months prior and it kind of shows what what happens economically in global manufacturing and what this is suggesting if history were to repeat itself it does indicate that 2021 could be a very bullish year for manufacturing yeah yeah i think that you know anytime when uh there's easy money out there i think it's bullish for all of these you know manufacturing indicators gdp indicators and and you know the stock market in general so um, you know, this isn't isn't a surprise to me, but it's nice to, to to see this on a chart. It's nice to kind of back up some of our 
let's say, our, our feelings and our thesis with hard data. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, switching back to gears to uh, poke the bear. Uh, this one, this one's going to rally you up. I, this is really going to get you going. So here we go, listeners. I'm just going to say it. This is a blog post from Zero Hedge on December 1st. So here we go. This is the post. Citigroup warns, quote, one. I can't even say it with a straight face. 100% probability of loss in the most euphoric market since the dot-com bubble. I'll continue. Citigroup's panic euphoria indicator, which tracks metrics from margin debt to options trading and newsletter bullishness, has reached its highest since August tumble and equaled its highest since the peak of the dot-com bubble. City said, according to Zero Hedge, and I'm going to quote this, Mark, current euphoric readings signal a 100% probability of losing money in the coming 12 months if we studied historical patterns. Indeed, we saw such levels back in early September as well, right before a sell-off in stocks, end quote. Jenna, I hope you had the popcorn ready for this. Mark, I know how you love bold predictions. So I'm just going to stop talking. I'm going to let you respond. Um, well, I can't say I'm surprised, but, you know, you see this stuff uh, all the time when, you know, the market's doing well. And there's always going to be these uh, what we call perma bears, who are people that are extremely always negative on the markets. And what's the problem with that? Over time, the markets go higher, and we all know that. And so are you going to put your weight and your faith into someone who is continually like bearish on the stock market and saying that you're going to lose all of your money? It just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, The second thing that sticks out to me about this note is 100% probability of loss. That's a bold, bold statement. It's a really bold statement when you go back to the comment I just made where over time the stock market is, you know, extremely, uh, or excuse me, is a wealth generating machine that we've talked about before. So when they say there is a, there's never a hundred percent probability of anything, is there? <laughs> I, in my career in this industry, I've never used that term ever. It's not, I mean, in my, my common language I would ever use. So I think when, you know, people see things like this, um, even if it's the other way, if it's 100% probability of gain, you need to turn and run around and run the other way. Um, Because this is the type of fear mongering that, you know, really affects people's psyche when it comes to investing. People see this stuff not too long after a pandemic that we went through when we had a, a quick but deep recession of about 30% you know, this could trigger some people into making some harsh decisions. And I just don't think that's good for for anybody. Um, I appreciate you paraphrasing it that way, because, you know, the opposite could happen at the end of March earlier this year, when the market really sold off, March 23rd was the low point. People read stuff like this, they might sit there and say, well, I'm going to go ahead and sell, I'm not going to get back in and look what the market did since that time period. Mm -hmm. Right. So it can work on the opposite end when the market's at a low point and they say, well, it's going to continue to go down. Mm -hmm. And what I see also with a lot of perma bears, will you comment on this? They always talk about selling. 
but they never talk about when they got back in or if they ever did. Do you want to say you have any comment about that? Uh, well, I think they don't talk about it for a reason because they would never get it right or they never get back in. Right. So I don't know. I just, you know, and they, they talk about if we study historical patterns, I'd like to see more research on, on that and see exactly what they're referring to. But I think this is just clickbait to get people, you know, to, to, to read their stuff. And I think people need to be very wary and conscious of that. And, you know, that's one of the points of this podcast is to make people aware of this stuff so they don't fall prey to it. That's right. Or take that as, you know, biblical, sacred cow. I'm just going to follow this advice and move on. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I'll make it a little bit lighter. I got a fun one for you now. So this next one is a funny tweet by Ben Carlson on December 1st. It caught my eye. Okay. And um, this is what it said. It's uh, showing a picture from uh, the beginning scene of the late 80s movie, Wall Street. Okay. And the very first scene in Wall Street is an older guy complaining how it's impossible to make money in the markets because there's too much cheap money out there. The movie, Mark, came out in 1987 when the 10-year U.S. government treasury was yielding well above 8% a year. Nice to see some things never change, Ben Carlson says. Yeah. Any comment? It's just funny that, you know, back in the day that was considered cheap money. (laughs) (laughs) And he said that it's impossible to make money in the markets because there's too much cheap money. And look at all the cheap money that we have now and look at what we had over the past decade. I know. You know, some argue that it, it was the most easy money ever to be made. Now, I'm not saying I argue that, but that's been out there before. So that's funny. I that's thought you would love that. It's a good movie. People should check it out if it you want to go back and, and see an oldie but a goodie. What was the, the famous line, for lack of better terms? Greed is good. I'm not saying I agree <laughs> with that, but that's the popular like quote from the right, movie. Right, right. From Gordon Gecko was yeah, the character's Gordon, name. Gordon Gecko. Um, yep. Mark, I'm going to send it back to you for uh, tweets and research. Yeah. So the first thing I want to talk about uh, is just an, uh, a blog post from our friend Ashby Daniels uh, titled Who Would Have Thought on his blog, The Retirement Field Guide. And I just wanted to read some things from this because I thought this was really good. And this was on December, uh, December 1st of this year. So Ashby starts out by saying on November 24th, the Dow Jones Industrial Average closed above 30,000 for the first time ever. In case you've forgotten, on March 23rd, the Dow Jones Industrial Average closed at 18,214. This is a rebound of about 65% in a period of about eight months' time. Let's also not forget how loud the doomsayers had been in their war chant of, this is the end of the world as we know it. How many times did we have to hear that it was going to get much worse before it got better? That's pretty much all we heard then. That is all we, we were, heard. We were outliers. Right. right. We Everyone outliers. thought the world was going to end. They did. Imagine going into a meeting on March 24th of this year and saying that before December arrives, the market would close above 30000 for the first time and dividends would have remained stable across the market. You get with, laughed out of the room in our industry. Right. With actually 216 companies increasing their dividends. You would. You would have got laughed so, so, out of the room and no one would have believed you. Say that you. again. That's a big point for listeners. There's 216 companies that actually increased their dividends during this time. That's a 
bold thing. And I love that. That just, those companies love that. Mm -hmm. And he says, taking this one step further, even just a little as a month ago on November 2nd, a day prior to the most important election in our country's history, every as time they say, they say every that. election, which is very, very true. Every so time. I laugh at that. Uh, the Dow closed at 26,501. Many investors were wary about the market with election contestations on mind. Questions around the transfer of power, mail-in ballots, and far worse election catastrophe predictions being thrown around. And yet again, we've come out on the other side with the Dow on pace for its best month in 30-plus years. This is investing. Successful equity investing requires both patience and discipline. I am not sure where one ends and the other begins, but I know that holding an equity portfolio through COVID, the COVID market panic and political turmoil required some discipline. For investors who didn't have a retirement income plan, reminding them of why they own the portfolio that they do, it would have been close to impossible to endure the onslaught of catastrophic predictions. So I just want to remind people that let's please remember this the next time that we have a catastrophic event that the world is not coming to an end and things will go on and over time markets will get better and people need to stick to their plan if it's one thing i know events like that where the market sells off drastically and quick will happen again it will when will it happen no one knows could be next week right so the point I would like to make, and I appreciate you uh, making those statements for listeners. I want to remind listeners about my term of the market needing to climb a wall of worry. And let me explain what that means. If there are no longer any excuses for people not to invest, that's when you be concerned about a market top on a short term basis, right? So right now, I can give you a ton of excuses that I see out there as to why someone will not invest in the stock market. I'm just going to throw out a couple. You ready? Runoff election in January 5th. Don't know how that's going to turn out. Don't know how the inauguration is going to turn out. Don't know how traditional flu season with COVID is going to turn out. Don't know what employment's going to be. What's the stimulus package going to be? What happens in the midterm in two years? I could keep going. Mm -hmm. And there's always going to be excuses or concerns or reasons not to invest. But I think it goes back to what you have always said on this podcast, which is focus on what you can control. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Because if you listen to all of the reasons not to, you'd fall into a camp. And unfortunately, we see the people all the time. They come in the door. They say, listen, you know, my other advisor told me to stay out of the market. I've been in cash for the last three years. Now, what do I do? And we see it all too often. And that's why I want to go back, listeners, and focus on what Mark has told us in the mm -hmm. past. Focus on what you can control. Have a plan. Follow it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. So thanks to Ashby for that content. Um, so moving on, uh, the next thing I had was a tweet from uh, Ryan Dietrich on December 2nd. And he tweeted... Uh, this verbiage with a chart huge months like november tend to be the start of a new bull move not the end here are all the greater than 10 percent monthly moves for the s p 500 with continued strength six and 12 months later quite likely so he 
tweeted this chart of all the times um, after a 10% monthly gain in the S&P 500 index. Looks like there's 13 data points here. Yep. And again, remind listeners that this is a very, very small sample size. Um, but just wanted to point this out because I, I found it very interesting. I find this interesting. So 12 months after a 10% monthly move in the S&P 500 index, the average gains in the market 12 months later is 13.1%, and the median return was 13.2%. So, And it was positive. This says 81 spot, 8% of the time. Right, which is pretty bullish. Um, so I just thought that that was... Um, Can I send this to the city analyst from Zero Hedge? Yeah, article? you should. Okay. You should. Okay. And, and, you know, this is encouraging to me going forward... You know, because if people haven't seen this data before, they would say, you know, the market just did 10% in November. There's no way it could go up in December. There's no way it could go higher in the next six months. Well, I heard a lot of that true. jargon a couple of weeks ago. You know, I heard that. So, you know, I think people need to really look at the data rather than just saying the market's too high. Because what is what is the same mean? thing when it was at 20,000? Right. What is it? What does that mean? And, you know, that leads into my next my next point, and again, that um, that chart that I just described from Ryan is on our show notes, so people can can check that out and see, um, you know, the performance of of the indexes after we have these huge monthly gains. But it, it's a good lead right into the next point I was going to make. What was a tweet by J.C. Peretz um, of a chart of the global Dow index breaking out to all time highs for the first time since late 2017. Um, so it's just a chart of, of the global Dow, and you can see that we're sitting at all-time highs right now. And, you know, as JC would say, this is not bearish. This is not bearish at all. There's markets all across the world making all-time highs right now. Or not not all of them making all-time highs, but new highs, and when you put them all together, all-time highs. So, you know, it, it gives you the sector breakdown of the weight of each you know, country or region in this in this Dow global Dow calculation, um, and you'll see that there's participation from a lot of different regions, and that is very bullish in my opinion. And a lot of different sectors, Mark. So for all the all the all the exactly, and for all the doomsayers, you know, I don't, I don't know, I just don't see how how they can push back against this, that this is a, a negative development going forward. Yeah. Another way I like to also kind of throw it out uh, to listeners is this. This data is not, uh, we don't want you to draw the conclusion that every month or every quarter, the market's going to be up. But what we are indicating is that there is some bullish raw data that tells us we're in a, a good investment environment. It's never going to be perfect, right? And most of the time we are. Yeah. Right. I mean, we're not. We're not. That's why the market goes up. We're not in a bad environment right now. That's just my two cents. Mm -hmm. um, so that that chart of the global Dow is also on our show notes. So people can check that out as well on their own time. Um, so the financial planning topic of the week comes from a blog post by uh, Blair Dukeney. And this is titled the most important assumption on her blog, The Bell Curve. Ooh, this would be interesting. And as you could probably guess, Blair talks about what she thinks is the most important assumption when making financial calculations. Um, and it's one that I think, Matt, a lot of people forget to account for, and that's the rate of inflation. Yes. 
Um, so I guess before we just jump into this, can you just give a brief 30-second overview of inflation for people that don't understand what that means? Yeah, I mean, it's almost hidden uh, per se, but inflation is what the cost of a good or service uh, will be at a future point, okay? Right. So an example that the government produces is something called CPI, or the Consumer Price Index. And the government has a basket of goods and services that help them judge what they perceive to be inflation. And historically, it runs around 2% for the last decade or two. Mm -hmm. When you go farther out to the data set, inflation was a lot higher, right? So Food prices, gas prices. Cost of an appliance, mm -hmm. right? So one thing that savers really don't see because they're too close is that you might have $100,000 in that savings account. And let's assume in this environment, it keeps at a 0% interest rate. Rates are low. Bank's not going to give you any return. So two years from now, guess what? You still got $100,000 in that savings account, assuming a 0% interest rate. However, in actuality, out in the real world, the value of that money and what it buys in goods and services has decayed. And if we go off of a 2% rate, just not compounding, you really have $96,000 in that account of, right. of what it can actually do for Purchasing you. power. And so that's the issue. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a silent killer for, mm -hmm. for savers. Jenny, you want to quote that? <laughs> um, so I think that, you know, the easiest way to, for people to wrap their, their head around this is that, you know, if someone made... $50,000 back in 2000, that $50,000 would not buy them the same amount of goods and services as today what 50000 would buy. My guess is it would take 75000 to buy the same amount, maybe even eighty. I'm glad you brought that up because <laughs> Blair has a statistic in here of when inflation cuts money in half. So with different inflation rates, she gives the amount of years it takes for a dollar to be worth 50 cents. Love this. Okay. So if we have a 2% inflation run rate, and it's never going to be you know 2% for 20 years, and you know that's it. It's never going to be above or below 2%. That's sure. not how it works. Sure. But just to quantify these numbers, if it were, if we were at an inflation rate of 2% per year, it would take $35 for... One dollar to become fifty cents, okay, or a okay. hundred thousand dollars to become fifty thousand dollars of purchasing power. Got it. At a three percent inflation rate, it takes twenty three years to cut the money in half. Four percent, it takes seventeen years to cut the money in half. And a five percent inflation rate, it only takes fourteen years to cut your money in half. So what does that mean for people, and why is this important? Because you cannot just keep all of your money in a checking or savings account and expect that everything is going to be okay. Because if you want to keep the same lifestyle, guess what? Not possible. Not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. It's just not how it works. So I think there's a huge fallacy out there that, you know, people need to have when they're in their seventies and eighties, people need to have the majority of their money in cash and a checking and savings account. What if that person lives for another 20 or 25 years? And with medical technology, Life expectancies, I think, are going to go up over time, right. in my opinion. Exactly. Um, you know, and there's just one thing that, that I want to read from, from Blair's article exactly. And she said, 
Even before interest rates dropped to zero, the dream of living on dividends and interest in retirement was impossible. Retirees need stock market returns to survive for multiple decades without a paycheck. And this is really important because no one ever talks about it, but you know, it sounds sophisticated to want to just live off interest and dividends from, you know, a conservative portfolio and expect that everything's going to be rainbows and butterflies. And for most people, they don't have enough wealth to do that. Right, exactly. But with inflation, that's extremely hard to do. Um, and almost impo- almost impossible. I'm not going to say it's impossible. It's just very, very you hard need, to do. Would, you need to start the pretty large nest egg to do that. Right. So, and without taking significant risks. Exactly. So... You know, and when I say take significant risk, it's putting a lot of your money in a master limited energy partnership because it has a 10% yield or something. Or very low quality corporate bonds or that type of thing. You know, so, so I think this is one of the things that people need to keep in the back of their heads because obviously, you know, your savings rate, super important. The rate of return on your investment, super important. But inflation is also very, very important. And people really need to take a serious look at this when they think they want to move everything to cash Um, because you are not going to be able, most people are not going to be able to live the same way that they had for the past several decades if their money's not working and growing for them and they no longer have an income. I'm with you on this. And, you know, the... One of the topics and earned that, income, I should say. One of the topics that really just rubs me the wrong way, and I'm going to bring it up next week, are target date funds. Um, Kitz has had a um, um, a tweet about target dates, mm-hmm. and it showed some some data about people and how old they are and what their average stock exposure is, and it correlates that to the stock exposure of the target date fund in a given year. And what I'm getting at is. The old academia Wall Street world of how much ex- stock exposure these target date funds have, I, I, I personally very much disagree with it. Mm-hmm. And because what happens is you got someone who's about to retire. I'm going to cherry pick an age, 65. These target date funds on average have no more than 30% stock exposure. A lot have about 20, 25% stock exposure. Mm-hmm. And with rates at where they're at, at inflation at where it's at, I'm sorry. That's not going to cut the mustard. It's mm-hmm. not going to do it. Yep. So we'll send it back to you. <laughs> I haven't heard that one in a while. Cut the mustard. It's <laughs> a good one. Um, but no, I, I, I think it goes back to your point. Unless you have a very big um, nest egg or a big portfolio balance and you need a very just a sliver of that to live the way you want to live every single year, you know, 2% per year is not going to it's not going to get it done. No way. Um, no way. You know, so and I think for like people like that, that have, you know, a significant portfolio because they inherited money or they did a really good job of saving, you know, 50 percent of their income in their in their earning years and only need a really small amount of that to live off of in retirement, which there are some people out there and target date funds could get that done. But I would argue for the majority of people not going to cut it, like you said, it's not. So it's not, and I'm glad you brought this up. I think, I think Blair did an excellent job on this blog post. I'm mm-hmm. glad that you highlighted it. Yep. Um, so with that being said, that's all I had uh, for this week. Is there anything else that you want to mention? When are we recording next week? Do you have your calendar? I up? do have my calendar up because so, it is uh, the holiday week next week. We are recording, I think, on Tuesday. Okay. 
think we're recording on Tuesday morning. Okay. So I'll bring you uh, the next podcast on Tuesday, a little less than a week from now. Um, but we will leave it there for the week, and we'll be back with you next week for another episode of the Independent Advisors Podcast. Take care, listeners. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors Podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Well, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. And also check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. Here you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words, questions, and topics in the subject line to mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com, and we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.